Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. I want us to get into the word. I've entitled this message, The King is Coming. How many of you know that Jesus will return? Amen. How many of you believe that? You know, amen. We should be anticipating that, you know, and I believe that we should trust and know that the Lord is coming back for his people. Amen. That's a good, that's, that's good news. It's good news to know that Jesus will return. It's good news to know that he is going to come back. But the truth of the matter is this, is that the belief that Christ will return to earth is only held by less than 62% of all Americans. Less than 62% of the people in our nation actually do not believe that Jesus will return. Interesting. That means that out of a nation that proclaims vastly to be a nation under God and a nation that believes in Jesus and a a nation that trusts in God, many upon many actually don't believe that he will one day return. Amen. Billy Graham said this. He said, the second coming of Christ will be so revolutionary that it will change every aspect of life on this planet. He said, Christ will reign in righteousness. Disease will be arrested. Death will be modified. War will be abolished. Nature will be changed. And man will finally live as he was originally intended to live. Amen. When the Lord returns, church, and the, and the Lord returns for his people, that is to rapture us up, to take us up, to be with him in heaven. It is going to be the most glorious, most spectacular thing that the face of this planet has ever seen. Amen? It's something that we can look forward to. It's something that we can be anticipating, be excited for. Amen? And I believe for those of us who believe in this risen king, it should be focusing on the fact that the king is coming again. Amen? The king will return. The king will one day come for your life, for your soul, for my life, to take us up to be with him forever. How many of you remember that that child's game when we would play hide and seek and we would always say, ready or not, here I come. The truth is, is ready or not, Jesus will come. Amen. Ready or not, Jesus is going to come. And I think, you know, for us as believers, for us as the church, we need to be ready. Amen? And we'll talk about that more in a second. But I want us to read from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And there's many verses that we're going to read. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to kind of break these down. But let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 17. It says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed, By some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. It says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. Verse 4 says, "He uh, he will oppose and he will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. So that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. He said, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? He said, and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. Verse 7 says, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Verse 9 says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the works of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. It says they perish because they refuse to love truth and so be saved. Verse 11, for this reason, the Lord sends them into a powerful delusion so that they believe a lie, the lie. And it says, and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Now let's keep going. Verse 13, but we always ought to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. 
He called you to this through our, our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, so then brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings that we've passed on to you, whether by word or of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ reveal himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and every word. Let's pray for the word of God tonight. Holy Spirit, we, we love you. We thank you. We know your spirit is present with us tonight. And God, it's my prayer that your word would speak loud to our hearts, Lord Jesus. That your Holy Spirit, as your word is delivered, God, that it would fall on good soil, Father. I pray for every heart, every ear, Father God, every mind in this place tonight. Father, may we receive your truth, God. And Father, may your Holy Spirit just work in us, Father. To Lord, uh, Father God, be encouraged, Lord. Father, for your day will return. We anticipate your return. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So there's a lot that this chapter speaks about, and I'm not going to get into every you know, verse just, just right now. I'm not going to break everything down, but we're going to do that over the course of time. But there's a lot of things that the scripture is teaching us and events that must happen in order to receive the Lord's return. And so tonight I just want to break down a few verses in order for us to understand the coming of the Lord and how we should be prepared. Amen. And so I was reading through a commentary, and it breaks these few verses down this way. When it refers to the day of the Lord, it does not mean a single day in history, but it's using the word day in a, in a forceful or emphatic sense, just like men do when they speak of the great day of space exploration or the great day of some world leader or the great day of creation. And so the day of the Lord, it actually covers a long span of time and some very significant events. And so in the Bible, it actually covers the whole span of history, beginning with the two events of this passage and reaching forward all the way to eternity. And it will be a terrible time of trouble, listen to me carefully, a time that is known as that great and terrible day of judgment, the day when the wrath of God will fall upon all the meanness, the viciousness, the ugliness, and the filthiness of men. But I want us to note the main point of this passage, and that is this. Is that no believer, how many of you believe in Jesus Christ? Is he Lord of your heart and is he Lord of your life? Amen. If you believe in Jesus, no believer has to fear the day of the Lord. Amen. No believer has to fear the day of the Lord. This isn't like, you know, when, when you did something bad and you got in trouble and all of a sudden mom was like, wait till your dad gets home. And you're going like, oh, man, you know, when dad gets home, you know, that's it. I'm going to get it. When dad finally gets home, you know, you know, I know he's going to be upset and he's going to be mad with me. This is not how we're going to wait on the Lord. This is not what this kind of waiting is like. It's not a fearful waiting. It's not a waiting of judgment or punishment, but it's actually a waiting of joy. And it's an anticipated arrival for the Lord, King of heaven, the lover of our souls. But that day of the Lord, the day of the Lord launches the judgment of God against all unbelievers. Against those who chose not to love truth. Those who chose to not believe the truth of the word of God. But rather those who oppose truth. Because the day of the Lord is not a judgment of believers themselves. I'll prove to you in scripture that the return of the Lord is not to be feared by those that love and long for him as it should be uh, in, the, in the scripture. So Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 says this. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Verse 12, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It says, and it goes on to say, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. John F. Kennedy, president, former president, during his 1960 presidential campaign, he closed one of his speeches with the story of, of Colonel Davenport. 
And the Speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives was this man. And so on May 19th, 1780, the sky of Hartford, Connecticut, darkened ominously, almost completely. And some of the representatives that were glancing out the windows, they feared that the end was at hand. They looked out to the windows and they see just this darkness all around them and they feared that the end was at hand. And quelling this clamor for immediate adjournment, Davenport, he rose to his feet and he said, the day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. He said, if it is not, then there's no cause for adjournment. But if it is, he said, I choose to be found doing my duty. He said, so therefore, I wish that candles would be brought rather than fearing what is to come. We are to be faithful till Christ returns. He said, instead of fearing the dark, we're to be the lights as we watch and as we wait. We are to be the light of God as we watch and as we wait. It's not something that even though we see darkness present in our world today. You see, we don't just see a physical darkness, you know, when, when night comes, but we actually see a spiritual darkness in our land. Amen? All around us, you know, if you, if you keep your eyes open and if you look, you'll see how much darker the world is becoming and how much darker our society is becoming. We see how evil is so prevalent. Evil has crept into our churches. Evil is, is, is looking at things. I, I, somebody sent me a video the other day where there's, there's actually an LGBTQ Bible that completely omits Scripture, completely twists Scripture. And I said to myself, how could this even be a thing? How does that even exist? But in the time and the season that we are living in, church, it exists. Why? Because there is a perversion of truth and there's a diffusion of truth. There's a war against truth to try to completely tear it apart and make it as if it's nothing. But I'm here to remind somebody, it's those who love truth. Truth has a name. Amen? His name is Jesus. Truth has a name. He said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The, the entrance to, the, to, to heaven is through the door named Jesus. It's through the gate named Jesus. It's through the narrow path that scripture calls him. Few will find him and find life. But the truth is, is that we see darkness all around us. But even if we see darkness around us, the point is, is that we're not to fear darkness. We're not to fear the principalities of, of, of the enemy. We're not to fear the demons and, and all the uh, spiritual activity that we see going on around us. But instead, we are supposed to live with the light of Christ burning brightly in our hearts. Burning brightly and awaiting the day of his return. The time we're living in now, church, is, is in the season of the grace of God. How many of you know that we are living in the age of grace? What does that mean? That means that when you get to heaven, grace is no longer needed. Amen? Grace is no longer needed, but grace is very needed and very necessary now. Amen? So once you're transferred to heaven, grace isn't something that is needed upon your life. But we have to understand this. We have to understand because we are living in an age of grace, it's having an understanding of the grace that is at work in your life and knowing not to abuse it like Paul mentioned. I'm thankful for the grace of God. I'm thankful for, for the Lord extending himself to my life. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for his grace. Amen? His grace is sufficient, the scripture teaches us. It's what sustains us on a daily basis. Thank God for his grace. But Paul even said this. He said, the grace of God upon my life was not without effect. What did that mean? That meant that Paul knew that there was something that the Lord had offered him that he so desperately needed, just like you and I need. Because grace is knowing that we all fall short of the glory of God. Amen. We've all sinned and we fall short of his glory. But grace is knowing that we can receive Jesus and now we look like Jesus. Because the payment that Jesus gave his blood for is now upon our life. We receive the grace of God, amen? But because we live in a season of grace, it doesn't mean that we can just go about living our life however we wish. Falling to any temptation, sinning left and right, saying things about people, backbiting, slandering, living you know, lives that are, that are not you know, in a healthy fear of the Lord. 
but we're just living life how we desire to live our life because we live to please our flesh. Romans 6 and 1 explains this. Paul says, he said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, certainly not. He said, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So Paul's making a pretty good argument here, and he's, he's teaching us something. He's saying, hey, listen, just because we realize that grace exists in this day and age doesn't mean that we should go on sinning. Amen. It doesn't mean that we should just go on living however we wish. Like the scripture mentions in Titus 12, it teaches us what? To say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. How many of you are thankful for the Holy Spirit? Man, we need the Holy Spirit. I love that, that saying that says, you know, you know, they ask, you know, if you need the Holy Spirit to go to church. And they're like, man, you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. You know, you need the Holy Spirit wherever you go. Doesn't matter where you go in this world and in this life, we need absolutely the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit enable us to do? Teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. In this time of darkness. In this season where we see the world completely going, you know, chaotic and lost. The Holy Spirit has given us what we need to live for the Lord. Amen? To live a life that's pleasing, that's holy, and worthy of his calling. 1 Thessalonians 4, and verse, uh, chapter 4 and verse 7 says this. For the Lord has not called us for impurities, but in holiness. Amen? The Lord has not called us for impurity, but he has called us in holiness. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 Powerful verses, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Amen. It goes on to say, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. See, the Lord is desiring, church, that his people, you and I, would continue to walk in the light of his glory until he returns. The Lord desires this of our life. And the return of the Lord is to be the blessed hope of the church. The return of God is to be the blessed hope of every single believer. It's to be a day of joy. Amen? It's to be a day of excitement. I don't know about you, but there should be this unending joy in our life. This unending joy to want to see Jesus. Amen? Like right now, like if, if somebody was selling tickets to see Jesus, I'm in line. You know, I'm going to buy one. I want to be, you know, the first in line. You know, it's like those people that wait outside, you know, Best Buy, you know, on Black Friday. What are they doing? They're waiting outside because they're supposed to get a good deal. Imagine camping outside of a store so you could get a discount. Think about that. The craziness that people will go through just to get, save a few dollars. But it's interesting to me that when we talk about Jesus, sometimes there's this laxed, almost tired, almost old married couple kind of a feel about when we talk about the return of Jesus. There's people in the church that sometimes they're just like, yeah, 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 he's going to return. Yeah, yeah, he might come one day. Yeah, he might, you know, show up at some point. There should be an everlasting fountain of joy in your heart when you anticipate the one whom you have called Lord and the one who died for your sins. There should be an everlasting joy that wells up from within your life that says he is the one that I want to meet. He is the one that I want to live with forever. I don't want to be with anybody else. I just want to see Jesus. You see, there should be this joy in your life to reign with him forever, to behold the glory of God without limits. Think about that just for a second. To behold the glory of the Lord without limit. You see, here we get waves of the glory of God. 
The Lord just kind of moves in sometimes and we experience the presence of God. You're in prayer and you experience the presence of the Lord. You're in the word and you're, you're reading the word of God. The Holy Spirit touches you, amen? And those are powerful moments and they're just tiny little glimpses though into what heaven will be like. They're just tiny little fragments that are just little pieces that show us a little bit of the glory of God. But did you know, church, that on that day when you are raptured up to be with him and you reign in heaven forever, the glory of the Lord will be completely unfiltered. It'll be without limit. You'll be able to experience God in all of his glory forever. That's it. That, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I want to go. How about you? Some of you are like, yeah, it sounds appealing. Hopefully I don't have to sell it to you too much harder. Our hearts should desire this day. Amen. And not be afraid, but rather anticipating just like a bride anticipates her wedding day. So the church should be exuberant with joy because the bride of Christ will finally be married for all eternity. For all eternity. I remember I proposed to, to when I proposed to my wife, you know, uh, it was in uh, September. And, and man, I honestly don't remember the day. I think it was like the 15th, maybe the 12th, something like that. She remembers that day. I just remember the anniversary. That's the one I got to get right. But I remember the day that we got engaged, and then we finally set a date. And the hardest part about getting engaged is when you finally set a date, and you know, like, okay, this is the day that I'm getting married. It doesn't seem like time moves fast enough. We got, we got engaged in September, and then we didn't get married until the following August. So we were literally engaged like 11 months Seemed like forever. But I remember as each day got closer and closer and closer, it was like, okay, you know, it's the summer, and all right, I'm going to get married in a couple months, and then, all right, it's August, and oh, man, I'm going to get married in a couple weeks, and then it's like, oh, man, you know, it's tomorrow. I'm going to get married tomorrow. Like, I remember there was just this joy in my heart because I was like, you know what? I finally get to be with the one that I want to commit my life to for the rest of my life. Like, that's it. It's it's. It's going to be me and her for the rest of my life. And it was this joy in my life, in my heart, because I said, this is going to be something that's going to last for all eternity. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 says this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. You see, we are the bride of Christ. Did you know that? You and I are the bride of Christ. Amen. And the question of the hour is, are you getting ready for his return? Are you getting ready for the return of the Lord? It's also important to note what the return of Christ will bring. The first thing, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. Families will be reunited in the presence of the Lord. I don't know about you, but that just brings so much peace and comfort to my heart and to my life. For those of you that have ever lost a loved one that, that has gone on to be with the Lord, that is no longer present in this earth, it's so reassuring to know that one day there will be a great reunion with those that we love, with those that we, we, we battled with, with those that we sought the Lord with. Those that have gone on before us, we can see them face to face once again. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15 says, According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, it says, we will not certainly precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17 says, And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Verse 18 says, So therefore encourage one another with these words. What an encouragement to know that we are going to have a reunion with those who went on to be with the Lord before us. And we're actually going to meet them in the clouds as we meet Jesus. Man, that sounds exciting. I haven't watched this movie yet, but I'm, I'm ready to experience it. Amen? I'm ready to be in the clouds. Like, how many of you have ever flown on a plane? 
Has anybody ever flown on a plane? It's interesting that when you finally like, you know, break into the clouds, right? And you get like, you know, so high up, you're probably like 20,000 feet in the air, you know. And, and then there's this point where you're above the clouds. And there's literally just like this gigantic bed of pillows of clouds just beneath you. And you're at like 40,000 feet, you know, elevation or whatever it is. And you're so high that the clouds literally just look like, like, a, like a floor to you. And then what's so incredible is that we meet our loved ones and we meet the Lord there in the clouds. There's this beautiful exchange that happens when Christ comes from heaven and he meets us in the clouds and we come up from the earth. And those who were falling asleep, those who were dead previously that had gone on to be with the Lord, they rise before us. And we have this reunion with the Lord in the clouds. The scripture says, we who are still alive and who are left will be caught together to meet with them. That is, those who have fallen asleep will meet them in the clouds to reign and be with the Lord forever. The second reason for his return, you know, or one of the reasons that we find that, you know, is beautiful in scripture to know what the Lord is actually doing is this, is that. In heaven, church, did you know that there will be no more pain or no more suffering? What a beautiful thought. Amen? I don't know about you, but I've suffered things in this life. I don't know about you, but I've gone through my fair share of pain, and, and I'm sure many of us have. But Revelation 21 and verse 4, what a powerful verse. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What a powerful truth. Amen. That on that day when we get there, church, there will be no more rampant sin. There will be no more rampant cancer and disease. No more pain and suffering. No more separation, pain of death or loss. There's going to be no more hurting. There's going to be no more mourning for those who have left us from this earth. There's going to be no more inward anguish, uh, you know, for those who have, have hurt our lives. All of these things are going to be over. There's no more suffering. Not one ounce of pain can be felt in heaven because a new order will come to pass. What an incredible day that will be. What a beautiful day that be. The third thing that you can write down is this, is that heaven will be a place of perfection. Heaven will be a place of perfection. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Amen? That is the country to which we belong. This is what the scripture is telling us. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What a transformation process that's going to happen when we get to heaven. I don't even know what a perfect me would look like. The, you know, the, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know how we could even picture that. Like, what age will we be? You know, will we be the same age that we are now, you know, but like perfect, you know, and, and like we haven't aged? I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like. All I know is that it will be a place of perfection. Our body will be transformed once and for all. The, th the fourth thing is this, is that heaven will be our home. Amen? How many of you are ready to go home? Amen? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> some, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's time. <laughs> it's 8.06, I got time, I got time. Heaven will be our home. Think about this. John chapter 14 and verse 2 says this, My father's house has many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you he said, if it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? Verse 3, he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. So we see a description of heaven that there's going to be a home there. There's going to be a mansion. There's going to be a place with many rooms, a place that you and I can inhabit. Hebrews 12 and verse 22 says this, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, he says, and you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. 
So we're seeing another description of what heaven is like. What do we see? We see thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly in the city of our living God. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 says this. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. He says from every nation, every tribe, every people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And it says, and they were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So can you picture it? There's thousands upon thousands of believers and people from every tribe, every nation, every skin color, every, every, every uh, people, every person. You know, all these people are going to be there. It's an innumerable amount of people. Nobody can count the amount of people that are going to be in heaven. So imagine with me generations of generations of generations of generations of people who have given their lives to Jesus. They are going to be there. Revelation 7 and verse 15, a few verses later, says, And they are, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. So for those of you who think that you're going to be golfing in heaven or like fishing or playing video games... <laughs> I don't think that's what's going to be happening. We are going to be serving the Lord. Amen? A lot of people think that heaven is going to be their own personal paradise. That's not the way it works. Amen? If you think it's going to be your own personal paradise, then you're probably living that way right now while you're on the earth. Probably thinking that this earth is your own personal paradise and that you can live however you want. No, my friends, we live for Jesus. Amen? And because we live for Jesus, guess what? We have the honor to serve him in his house for all of eternity. It says they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne, he will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Wow. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Man. Man, I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. Like, listen to the, to the description of what the, the picture that is being painted for our life. Never again will they hunger. He will shelter you for all of eternity in his presence. You'll no longer be subject to, to, the, to the violence, to the abuse, to the things that this world has thrown your way. You will be sheltered in the presence of God forever. What a promise. What a beautiful, beautiful promise. The sun will not beat down on you. I don't know about you, but I would love to be out of the sun <laughs> and be resting in the shade of God forever. Our AC uh, earlier today like wasn't working and we had to call an emergency and it was pretty hot in here, you know, earlier, and it was like, had to have the AC guy come and fix the air conditioning, you know, before service, because we knew you were going to come, and we didn't want anybody to be uncomfortable. But this hundred and whatever degree heat that we've been dealing with all summer, never again. God has control over the thermostat of heaven, and it's going to be perfect. Amen? It's going to be hot enough for those of you that are always cold, and it's going to be cold enough for those of us that are always hot. Amen? Give the Lord some praise. Amen. I want to go to heaven. It says, the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He'll be our shepherd forever. The perfect one that guides us, the perfect one that cares for us, the perfect one that, that, that bandages us when we're wounded. He will be our shepherd forever and he'll lead us to springs of living water. Springs of living water that will satisfy your life. He says, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. It's incredible because, you know, some of us cry a little and some of us cry a lot. But no matter the reason for which you, you cry, you mourn, you, you know, maybe it was pain, maybe it was trauma, maybe it was, you know, something that happened in your life. The Lord is so personal that he will wipe every tear from your eyes. 
That means that he'll bandage every wound of your heart. Every place where people did us wrong. All of the things that, you know what, a sinful world will do to our life. He, in a perfect manner, will once and for all wipe those tears away. And there will be a perfected healing upon your life. You'll never, ever weep again. I don't know about you, but nothing that this world has blessed me with, and that's a lot of things, can truly say the Lord has blessed my life with so many things. But none of the things that this world has blessed me with compared to residing in the presence of our King and Savior for all eternity. Amen. Is he your blessed hope, church? Amen. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says this. So since then you've been raised with Christ, then set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He said, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4 says this. It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Amen. I want to go back to the book of Thessalonians. And I want us to just understand what was happening in that big portion of scripture that we read. So the believers at, at, at Thessalonica, they thought that the day of the Lord had begun. Okay, they thought that, you know, this whole process had begun. They thought that the Lord was going to return and that, 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 you know, there was this great and terrible day when the judgment of God was about to fall upon the earth. And 2 Thessalonians 2 and 2 explains why. But we have to understand something about these believers at this particular time. And I believe this ties into what we're living in today. They were suffering fierce persecution. They were undergoing things in their life, and they were suffering as much as human beings could possibly bear. And so apparently even some of them at that time were being martyred. And so 2 Thessalonians 2 and 2 talks about that some person was claiming that a spirit or some angel or some vision had revealed to them that the day of the Lord had begun. And so there was this rumor, essentially, that had been spread that the day of the Lord had begun, so that was the vengeance and the wrath of God was about to fall upon the earth. Now, granted, if you're going through a tough season and somebody says the vengeance of God has come, you're probably going to believe it. In other words, you've been being attacked, your life has been being challenged, and you see that like something is really, you know, you're, you're hard-pressed, like the scripture says, and, and you're going through a, a tough, difficult, challenging time of your life, and somebody says, the day of the Lord has begun. All of a sudden, you may be inclined to believe it because of the circumstances that you feel. And the circumstances that you're going through. And so this person had a special word, a special revelation from God that the day of the Lord had begun. And they had either received it or heard about a letter from Paul that said the day of the Lord was at hand. So if you combine these three claims with the savage persecution that they were undergoing, it was so easily understood why some believers could be shaken. This is why nowadays when people talk about prophecy, people get really afraid and really worried and they don't like to talk about prophecy and they don't like to talk about the return of God because it makes them uneasy because of all the stuff that they see. And they get worried and they get, you know, you know troubled in their heart and, and the scripture says that they were even shaken. That word meant to be tossed about, agitated, shocked, troubled, and it meant to be in a continued, continued state of tension and nervousness. And so Paul's instruction to them was, do not be alarmed. And I want to just remind us tonight, do not be alarmed, church. You, you, you'll see a lot of things in the news. You'll hear a lot of things. You'll hear a lot of murmurs and rumors. People will send you videos and all kinds of stuff. Make no mistake. Listen to me carefully. Make no mistake, the Lord is returning. And make no mistake, the Lord is coming sooner than we probably believe. Make no mistake about that. We are seeing prophecies be fulfilled at this very moment. So that tells us, that encourages us that the day of the Lord has begun. 
That means that the events that need to happen in order for the Lord to return are already in motion. But for these people in that moment, they, they found themselves nervous and worried and they were, you know, you know, not sure of what to expect. And I say this because in our nation, there's a lot of people that are worried. In our country, there's a lot of people that are undergone stress and they're, they're worried because they do not know what the future holds. They're afraid for our country. They're afraid for our nation. They're afraid for, you know, all these crazy, you know, politicians and things that people are trying to do in our nation. And they're worried in their hearts and they're, they, you know, have this alarm sense where they're tense and they're nervous all the time. They're prepping for, you know, you know eternity because they don't know, you know, what's going to happen. And they find themselves even prepping for, for today, you know, storing up bread and grain and goods and rice and beans because they don't know what tomorrow is going to do. And they're, they're alarmed in their heart. And I have to remind you, church, and I have to settle our hearts and say, do not be alarmed. Don't be alarmed by just some unsettling prophecy or some unsettling thing that you may hear in the coming days. But I want you to say this with me today. Say, Jesus is coming soon. So Paul speaks of two important things that we must keep in mind as we look forward towards the day of the Lord. Number one is this, await the coming of Jesus and not the coming of judgment. So one of the first instructions that Paul gives us, await the coming of Jesus and not the coming of judgment. This was an appeal from Paul and an urgent appeal, and that point was to be made that the believer was to focus upon the Lord's return and not upon the judgment of the Lord's day. The day of the Lord is to be a judgment for unbelievers. Now let me, let me correct us again. The day of judgment is for unbelievers, not of believers. So the believer is not appointed to receive the wrath of God, but they are appointed to receive salvation. So therefore, he is not to fear the day of the Lord. He is to be looking forward to the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9 says this, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, we'll read these verses again. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do good. See, these verses go hand in hand. It's one thing to only focus on his return, amen? It's one thing to only, you know, just focus on, oh, well, the Lord's going to return, so I'm just going to sit back and chill, and I don't got to do nothing. I'm just hoping that he's going to show up. But we must not forget to embrace what Titus is instructing us to do. In order to bypass a wrath that awaits those who willingly despise the truth, we must live upright and holy lives before God. Amen? That means that we must live in the way that is pleasing to the Lord. Pastors uh, said it, you know, best one Sunday, but he said this. He said, holiness is not an option. It's a command. Amen? And the Lord is looking for a people. A, a, you know, the Bible says that we are a holy nation. Amen? But the Bible says that he is coming back for a pure and spotless bride. He's looking for believers that will walk in holiness once again. 1 Peter chapter 1 says this. So therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled and set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. He said, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Amen. Now, I'm sure that we could all, you know, uh, could agree that as we apply the word of the Lord to our life and we turn from sin, it'll be so much easier to anticipate his glorious return. Amen. 
You see, you have nothing to fear when you know that you're walking and you're living a righteous life before the Lord. Those who are in fear and those who are bound by fear are those who are probably not living for the Lord. That is, they may be, you know, living a life, a secret life of sin. There could be something that the enemy has used to, to pull them into, you know, this, 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 you know, trap of, of, you know, being a slave to sin. And the scripture is teaching us that the Lord wants you and I to embrace the word of God for our life. He clearly tells us that we have everything that we need for life and godliness. For a life of holiness. Amen? Just like a child that's done what their parents have asked and walked in obedience, they will be greeted with cheer and celebration. So it will be with us when Jesus returns to find his children about the Father's business. Amen? He will be pleased with your life because you're busy doing what he asked. Matthew 24 in verse 38 says, For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. He said, that's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Verse 42, so therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Amen. How many of you, you know, prepare your vehicle, uh, you know, or your family like when you're going to go on a road trip? Amen. How many of you put gas in the car because you're going to drive a long distance? Amen. You're probably not going to get very far if you don't. You know, I, I, as, a, as, a, as a dad and as a husband that I am, I'm like, you know, real, like, certain about those things. I even wash the car before I go on a road trip. I want it to, like, smell good before I get in it because it's like, you know, this is my, my plane that we're going to be on for the next, you know, however many hours. But I have to prepare the vehicle. I have to prepare this thing. I have to prepare my luggage. I have to prepare the vehicle. I even have to prepare my finances before I go on a road trip or a vacation. Why? Because it would be foolish if I didn't. Imagine jumping on a plane to go to another city or another state. And then you arrive there and you realize you forgot your wallet. (laughs) It's like, oh, okay. You know, I just showed up in California, but I have no money. Because I left my wallet behind. Or imagine traveling all the way across the world and you, you get to India, Pastor Thomas, and you flew all the way across the world. It's like, isn't it like 20 hours or something? Yeah, basically, it's like crazy. It's like a whole day, right, basically? Fly all the way across the earth, and then it's like you, you arrive there, and it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot my luggage. I mean, that would probably be a bummer, you know, to to arrive on the other side of the earth and yet forget the very thing that you needed to take with you. It would be foolish to think that we can arrive and expect to arrive in heaven without first preparing our hearts. Amen? It would be a foolish thing to think that we could get to heaven without preparing our heart, our mind, to live in holiness and obedience to the Lord. Amen? Our preparation and our anticipation of a king who is returning should have us ready at the day of his arrival. That means just like you would, you know, you know that date's coming up on the calendar where you're going to go to vacation and you're getting everything ready. So we should live our life with an anticipation knowing that he could come at any second of any hour of any day. Think about this right now. I believe that there's somebody that your heart might even need to forgive right now. And you're putting it off because you think that tomorrow is going to come. Why do we do that to ourselves? See, why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we, 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 we wait thinking that time is just going to continue on? When the scripture is very clear, the Bible says that no man knows the day or the time, the hour, not even the son of man, nor the angels in heaven. They know when the father's going to return. But guess what? He's going to return. And so if we live with this in mind and we live with this in our heart, we should understand church. And let this be a warning to those of us who aren't prepared that you still have time to get rid of the baggage that isn't allowed on this trip to heaven. Thank God for his grace. 
We still have time right here, right now, to get rid of the things that could be taking up residence in our heart that the Lord does not want to allow on this trip to heaven. Because the only thing that will inherit heaven from this earth is our soul. Amen? Is our soul. And so while we have time, we need to make sure that it's been blood washed, it's been forgiven, and it's been fulfilling its purpose in Christ until he returns. You see, this is what we need to be living for. The second point that Paul made to the church of Thessalonica was this. Is let nothing shake or trouble you about this day. July 19th, 1921. There was this man named Harold Camping, and he was an American Christian radio broadcaster, author, and evangelist. And beginning in 1958, he served as a president of a family radio, uh, a family radio station and a California-based radio station group that broadcasts to more 100 than, than 150 markets in the U.S., And in October of 2011, he retired from active broadcasting following a stroke. But he still maintained a role at that family radio station until his death. But what camping was most recognized for is notable was he issued multiple failed predictions of dates for the end times. Which temporarily gained him a global following and millions and millions of dollars of donations. But this man, Harold Camping, predicted that Jesus Christ would return to earth on May 21st, 2011, whereupon the saved would be taken up to heaven in the rapture and that there would follow five months of fire, brimstone, and plagues on earth with millions of people dying each day, culminating on October 21st, 2011 with the final destruction of the world. And he had previously predicted that Judgment Day would occur on, on or about September 6, 1994. And his prediction for May 21st, 2011 was wildly reported in part because of a large-scale publicity campaign by his radio station. And it prompted ridicule from atheist organizations and rebuttal from Christian organizations. But after May 21st passed, without the predicted incidents... Camping said that he believed that a spiritual judgment had occurred on that date and that a physical rapture would occur on October 21st, 2011, simultaneously with the final destruction of the universe by God. Except for one press appearance on May 23rd, 2011, Camping largely avoided press interviews after May 21st, particularly after he suffered a stroke in June of 2011. On October 21st, 2011, he passed without the predicted apocalypse, leading to the comments that Camping's ministry would collapse after the false prophecy. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember these prophecies, and I remember actually living through these days. I remember when this was actually widespread news. This was actually something that some people were actually beginning to believe. It was something that people were actually taking into their hearts and they thought it was going to happen. And I'll be completely honest with you. At the time I had Facebook and I remember some people that began to spread this thing, you know, throughout the internet because that's how bad rumors start. and That's how false prophecy takes off. But as this rumor was, was, was put out there and as it was beginning to gain traction and people were beginning to repost it and and send it out there for the whole world to see I saw people that were so-called Christians make bucket lists how many of you know what a bucket list is right it's a list of things that you're going to check off before you kick the bucket you know before you die and I saw people that were Christians making bucket lists saying, oh, I got to do this before I, the world ends, and I got to do that before the world ends, and I got to do this before I die. I even saw one young man literally put a post on Facebook asking any woman to marry him. <laughs> this is, I am not lying. <laughs> this dude's like, I want to get married before God returns, any takers, any, any woman out there, will you marry me? Sounds funny now. It was actually pretty funny then. 
But this dude had this legitimate fear in his life because he thought the world was going to end. And he's like, I want to experience marriage before the world ends. And I can laugh about it now, but I saw so many people that were shaken by this false prophecy. And I think we need to like mature in the church to where we don't let just anything that comes into our ear shake us anymore. Amen? I think we need to mature as the body of Christ that when something is spoken towards our life or, or something is, is shared and some people begin to say, you know, something that's false or this false revelation or this, you know, whatever, something that they made up or some crazy news story that it's about to happen, you know, the earth's going to implode, we're all going to blow up, you know. Listen, we have to put a stop to this. We have to not lend our ear to what is false because our ear is so inclined to truth. You see, when your ear is inclined to truth and you know what truth says and you know what the word says, that means that the moment that something that's false begins to be spoken, you go, hmm? That doesn't line up with the word. You cast that thing down, you cast that thing out and you call it what it is. It's nothing but a lie. Nothing but a deception. Nothing but the enemy trying to do something, you know, in your life. And listen to me carefully, church. One of the deceptions of Satan on that day will reveal several things. For an unbeliever, it will reveal that they'll continue on in their unprepared lifestyle. It'll reveal that they'll continue on in their skepticism of God's return and the Lord actually being God and being who he says he is. For the unbelievers, they'll laugh and they'll mock believers who continue to trust in Jesus. But when the Lord returns for the believer, it should reveal those of true faith and knowledge of the scripture. Amen. It'll reveal those who have trusted in the Lord. It will reveal those who are weak in their faith and it'll reveal those who are strong in their faith. Amen. It'll reveal those who are playing the fence to get their life until they could get their life right with Christ. And it'll reveal those who have had their life right with Christ. It will reveal, you know, the wolves in sheep's clothing. It's going to reveal a lot of things. Because on that day when the Lord comes and the Bible says that the eastern sky will split and the trumpet sound of God will, will blast, guess what? In the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says in an instant, boom. There's going to be just this complete separation and if it happened during a church service would the entire church be empty or would we be surprised to find who would be left behind would be be surprised to see like oh my gosh this person is there why are they there they're not supposed to be there I thought they were the real deal I thought they trusted in God I thought they trusted in Jesus Matthew 24 verse 4 says Jesus answered Watch out that no one deceives you. Watch out that no one deceives you. He says, for many will come in my name claiming that I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars. He's educating us. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. The end is still to come. Church, our king is coming. Make no mistake, amen? But our focus should not be on the events that are taking place around us. And our focus and our attention should be on the one who is for us, and that is our Savior. Romans 13 and verse 11 says, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation that is the coming of the Lord, is nearer now than when we first believed. Amen? I believe, church, that it's time for us to wake up out of the slumber of religion. Amen? And have a true relationship with Jesus. I believe the time has come for us to care more about our status with the Lord in heaven than to care about what our status is on social media. Amen? I believe the time has come when prayer time should take over TV time. Amen? I believe the time is coming when reading the Word should become our desire and not our duty. I believe that the time has come for the word of God to become active in every part of our life. And I believe the 
time has come when the word is revealed through our actions towards others. And I believe, church, that the time has come for the church to arise from her slumber because soon and very soon the king is going to split the eastern sky and he is going to blast that trumpet sound and it'll fill our hearts with a finality of joy in Christ because our king has come to take us to be with him forever. I am anticipating that day and I pray that you are as well. I pray that you are anticipating the Lord's return. So Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says this, that he will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is steadfast because they trust in you. I don't know about you tonight, but I trust in the Lord. Amen. I don't trust in a news station. I don't trust in a politician. I don't trust in my bank account. I don't trust in my friends or my family. I trust in the one who holds all things together, and his name is Jesus. Amen. He is our hope, and he is our salvation. Would you stand with me tonight? Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.